0: Welcome to The Common Bridge, where policy and current events are discussed in a fiercely nonpartisan manner. The host, Richard Helpe, is a philanthropist, entrepreneur, and political analyst who has over a million listeners around the world. The Common Bridge is
1: available on substack.com and draws guests and audiences across the political spectrum. And welcome to The Common Bridge. I'm Brian Kruger, the producer of the show. And as I said last week, this is a two-part episode. So episode 173 is the second of two parts, episode 172 being the first, with one of Rich's favorite guests, Robert Greenfield. And Robert Greenfield has traveled all the way from Perth, Australia to be on the show. This was a really, really wonderful interview. And this is the second part of that. They cover everything. So if you want to hear the first part, go back to your podcast directory of your choice, Apple Podcasts, and all the other ones. And you can listen to it there. You can also go to Substack and view it in the Substack app as well. And you can watch it you can read the transcript or you can listen to it. And you can also see us on YouTube as well. So we join Rich and Robert Greenfield in progress.
0: Before we talk about the elections, just a couple of things on the culture wars, where the very touchy and very delicate issue of trans activism and where the electorate is dividing around this. And, and look, let me just stipulate that there are people uh, every day that are born with indeterminate genitalia, or have um, both male and female characteristics and such, and as they develop, they they may, their secondary sex characteristics may develop as something other than the, that assigned at birth. And I think no one has an issue with those folks being treated well and, and so forth.
1: I just answered a question today uh, on the NEA and their birthing parent. You know this one, right? Right, right. And I feel that what we we clearly have is uh, a bridge too far on the left of trying to when you're trying to pander or to accommodate uh, every you know splinter group, what happens is is that we lose sight of our true mission, such as an education. To me, in the United States, because Uh, through my wife and other associations, I've done a lot of international education in so many different countries. This country is is actually less focused on education in the educational sphere than almost any country that I know. Amen. It has so many other agendas. And that is a perfect example to me when you start talking about, you can't say the word mother, it's a birthing parent, right? So who are we talking about? the few transgender men who still have some physical uh, capability on a female side in order to get pregnant and non-binary and non-binary is nothing more than a personal choice that you're not even saying you're not male, you're not female. You're not, you just don't want to say, so we're going to change the entire system. So we can't say that there are mothers anymore and now they are birthing parents. What happens to somebody that has a, a, a adopting a kid, you're no longer the mother, you're what the adoptive parent. But well, This kind of focus on this type of thing means that we're not t- focusing on our central mission for our kids, which is broad-based education that they are learning and learning and learning. And then as they get older, they can specialize, whether it's a trade, medicine, so on and so forth, you can specialize. But I believe, honestly, what we're doing is we're moving away from what keeps the United States on top. We cannot win at anything if we're sitting there and arguing constantly about the transgender rights of a few athletes, which, by the way, now uh, several organizations have come out and say they have a disproportionate advantage. So they can't be in the Olympics. Well, you think the Olympics, of course, they want to be inclusive. So they're saying, well, men who are now women, they have too much testosterone. So they're we're not going to allow them to compete in certain areas. What does that say to you? It seems to me that the whole transgender rights issue has been blown out of proportion and as you said really well yes of course there we want to have that kind of uh, support but hormone therapy at 12 i'm on the left side of the spectrum and i don't agree with that
0: well i mean and and this is one of the things that we're dealing with here is that this is obviously a very touching very personal and I've, i've actually known people who were born Male, but as they entered puberty began to develop breasts, and one young woman I knew had to leave school because the boys were becoming attractive to her, although she was male from birth. So that does happen, and we do need to have compassion there. But when I listen to the here's the argument is the way I understand it. A trans activist person will say, Well, the body and the mind don't agree. So we're not going to change the mind, we're going to change the body. And so we're going to administer drugs to stop the body from doing what it would naturally do. Somehow that's finding your real self by first stopping what your body wants to do. And then we're going to administer more drugs to make your body do something it naturally wouldn't do. And then the things that we can't overcome with pharmaceuticals, now we're going to use surgery. And by the way, if you raise the question and say that's a problem... Now you're a big, and, you know, i watch watched kids very dear to me go through phases of what clothes they want to wear, and who they think they are. And the best line I heard, someone said, yeah, when I was eight, I wanted to be a dinosaur, right? But nobody was fitting me with scales and a tail. Yeah. So I think we need to be smart about this and we need to be compassionate, but it, the place for kindergartners to learn is not about various genders and identities and genitalia, they should be learning the building blocks of mathematics. They should be learning how to speak, in this country, Spanish, and they should be learning how to speak a little bit of Mandarin, too, so that we can join the rest of the world and join this hemisphere. And, of course, the grounding in the English language and a full Mm -hmm. history and so forth. And you've probably seen the news reports that a woman that still had her male genitalia was put in a woman's prison in New Jersey and impregnated to other inmates. And nobody can look at that and say, that's a problem. And if the line doesn't get drawn someplace, when your daughter goes to college and is assigned a roommate and the roommate says, well, I identify as a female, but is still very much physically a male, then what? So we've got to think this through. yeah it's always something that comes out and I got, look, I got a lot of vitriol and, uh, uh, I don't call it hate mail, but people that weren't happy about suggesting that we can maybe get to energy sources that aren't going to put CO2 into the, into the air. So if we keep this part in, I'm sure to get up on. Yeah. Bunch I, I just
1: want to make the last comment on here. I, my line is drawn on uh, up till the age of consent. I don't think that we should be, uh, Paying for transgender therapies or things like that. I, I my problem is, is, I don't want. I'm like you, in for a certain age. I don't think kids can make uh, an informed choice until they are a bit older. Okay. Yeah, and we should be it, kind to everybody. And if they want to make that choice once they become an adult, God bless them. Okay, that's that's up to them. Um, but there, it, there's a lot of fluidity when we're all were you know, teenagers. We, there was people trying different, you know, some people were bisexual for a while, then they're now they're hetero, so on and so forth. But there's a very different thing than taking drugs, as you noted, to start changing your body, which in most cases is permanent. And I'm not so sure a 12-year-old or a 13-year-old is ready to make that uh, life uh, choice. That choice can be made uh, later on. Um, anyway, that's my, my feeling about it. I also feel that it takes us away from, as you've said, uh, kind of like what is our purpose in the schools. In particular, I don't like the schools having to get be the battleground for all of these issues. When really, I think edu- it it depends basically on how you look at schools. I don't look at schools as being the place that we dump all of our problems, then try to solve our problems in the school. I I don't I don't think that's the right approach. I think the right approach is that. We need to focus on learning, inclusivity, all the things that you say, but not trying to make it into the culture and social wars.
0: In, indeed. And uh, we need to equip young people to become productive adults. And, you know, I, don't, I never knew anything about the personal life of my teachers because I just didn't care. They were there to teach me to read and you know, to behave myself, and they were successful in half of that. So <laughs> I was grateful for that. And, uh, you know, this is kind of another cultural issue. We had a, a great guest on recently, Adam Coleman, uh, who's written and uh, spoken a lot about fatherlessness and the correlation between young people getting offline.
1: I saw that. Uh, was an excellent episode. Yeah, he
0: really blunt, and, you know, I, I will just say, I, I have a personal issue with men that don't raise their children. It's uh, one of my, my brother-in-law had a, saying in his hallway that I always liked and said the best thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother and try to raise your kids and get them launched. I've seen strong women come from great relationships with their fathers. They've got a man in their life. They've got somebody that can speak to them that can be there for them. And Same way with young men, knowing I'd have to answer to my father was a great deterrent. So can we make the idea of having a mother and father popular again? Or is it really popular, but we're just, again, being misled by media and politics?
1: My personal feeling is that for the majority of the United Americans uh, or anywhere else in the world, uh, being a mother and father is very popular. Right. I think it's really good. I think that there has been a a number of uh, social and legal um, policies where fathers have been separated from from their children. And I I don't think that we have done a very good job at repairing that. We have done some. We, you know, less incarceration. That's a a huge part. There's also a whole series of regulatory things of if the father is present, then people lose certain benefits. And and
0: craziness,
1: yeah. Yeah, on and on and on. So I think that, uh, to answer your question, I think that we need to, if the Republicans uh, are very serious about being pro-life, they need to also be pro-fatherhood. They need to be pro-family, um, these kinds of things. And they need to put uh, measures behind that to, you know, if they're going to have babies, it's not just, well, you got to take care of them. No, there's got to be a, a, a complete change in attitude for, uh, from a societal attitude to more to what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, you know, uh, no different than you. Like my father, you know, you don't talk back to your mom. You don't do this. You don't do that. There was a lot of don'ts. But on the other hand, I taught that to my my son, Mm -hmm. right? You don't disrespect your sister. Definitely not your mom. You know, these kinds of things. Now, if you do that intergenerationally, you get kids that are much more uh, refined, inclusive. They're much more successful because they accept women more into their, you know, to the workplace, their lives as executives. They don't just say, oh, it's got to be a man. Otherwise, I don't respect. There's a lot of really fantastic things that come from that. And there are tens of millions, I don't know, 100 million people in this country that believe in that. But we don't actually talk about that as a society. So, And I'm sorry to say, I don't think the Democrats are going to do this. Well,
0: we've had, we've had two things that, 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 we, that we could do that we're not doing. First of all, child tax credit. That's widely popular. Use the tax system to say, look, if you're raising a child, we know you need extra resources. Great. I'm all for that. Also, you know, maybe that time we're spending teaching various fringe theories, we maybe spend time teaching someone how to be a good parent, how to be a good mother and father. So use the tax system, use the education system. That's all going to come down to elections and the media. And so we've got the midterms coming up. In fact, the primaries for Michigan are tomorrow. We're recording this on August 1st. Really interesting. Any take on the primaries or the midterm? And and again, I granted that you're coming from Australia, by Singapore, by Budapest, by Toronto, by Detroit.
1: I think that the uh, history is um, a good uh, lesson here. Definitely the Democrats have a, a major problem. They'd have a major problem even if they had a wildly popular president. Obama was popular. And he had the worst uh, midterm results in, I don't know, 50 years, right? Um, Partly, the Democrats are not very good at uh, touting their own horn when when they do something right. um, They are continuing always, let's go farther. They don't know when to stop, right, kind of thing. So I think the Democrats have a, uh, a PR image problem on top of the fact that party in power always has a problem. That's one thing. I think on the right hand side, um, there has been some movements uh, such as the you know end of Roe v Wade uh, that give the Democrats some hope, okay, kind of thing. I'm happy to see we less culture wars right now. I, I'm hoping that uh, I think the Democrats are making a massive mistake to back any kind of Trump, Trumpian uh, candidates to order to get their guy in. Because the Trump guys are too extreme, so therefore they will get elected even if they're not that strong. I think that this is a really bad idea. I honestly believe right now that the politics in the United States are not toxic. They're more silly, right? Yeah. When you have a, you know Trump trying to figure out which one of nine candidates in Michigan he's going to back, and one day it's this guy, and that guy I think is really nice, you know, kind well, of
0: thing. Well, here's, what, here's Trump's thing. Again, it's all about Trump and Trump's brand. What he's been doing in congressional races, Senate races, and governor races, and here in the state of Michigan, with the Michigan primary, he looks and he sees who the likely winner is gonna be. And then he says, I'm really looking at them hard. And he offers his endorsement. And then within minutes, there's ads up with the candidate and Trump. And Trump's actually bigger, in the more in the foreground. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did they produce that ad that fast? How come Trump's so prominent? How come it's on all these channels? Now I don't know this as a fact, but I'm kind of connecting the dots and I can see, oh, all right, I'm gonna offer you my endorsement, but here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna go up on TV with this, and I'm gonna be prominent here and whatever. And it's all back down to it's Trump. Then Trump's and it's gonna, fundraising. Yeah, and, and it's gonna be and Trump's gonna be able to say, look at all these. Candidates, I endorse that one. I'm still a big player. And what I've advised the, the, the uh, Republicans to do, dump Trump. Just have a little backbone and, and say, you know what? You, you're a losing candidate. Go away. And we're going to go on about our business here.
1: I'm going to ask you a question about that in just a second. Okay, right? ask it first. But, but first, I want to answer your other question. I think that the Democrats are going to lose the House, um, I don't think it's going to be a landslide. I think it will be about a 20, 25 seat majority yeah. by the Republicans, which is about a 30 to 40 swing, you know, kind of thing. So I think that uh, will be the case. But I do think that the Democrats have enough decent candidates that they're going to get a 51-49 uh, in the Senate. That's my view. Yeah. And I think that there's a couple candidates. Tim Ryan's running better. Again, he runs in the middle. Uh, better than uh, anybody expected. Uh, Trump, J.D. Vance, you know, that's not necessarily a good thing. Of course, the core guys love him, but the other people are like the guys a little bit too extreme in, in certain ways. So I think the, the, uh, what's going to happen here is if the Democrats run to the middle, um, I think that they can possibly hold the Senate. I'm predicting 51-49. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I think a 25 to 30 uh, 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 majority for the Republicans and the congressional side. What do you think?
0: Well, I, I look at I, what I think is, is very simple. We should all be happy that the government is balanced that way and that they would maybe be working for us. But I think some of the votes going to come down to hey, you're a reasonable Democrat, but you're going to do what Nancy Pelosi tells you to, or you're not going to get campaign cash and you're not going to get on the good committees. And similarly, Kevin McCarthy on the Republican side. So, if we were not in this really pre-Civil War partisan battle, great, fifty-one forty-nine either way, 20 seats here, 20 seats there, either way. My district got redistricted, and I was aligned with geography to my west, where it was a very conservative Republican, I mean, basically what they call so-called safe seat. Now it's more realigned to the east. And it's got a middle of the road Democrat, and I think Debbie Dingell seems like a reasonable person, absent the fact that we're in this partisan war. All right, I mean she'd be a great person to be an independent.
1: She needs to retire.
0: Well, well no, she's not that old. Uh, it, I don't. I don't think. And and actually, the Republican candidate um, is uh, quite good too. So we'll see what happens.
1: I think though that gives to. Um When there's been a non-gerrymandered type of uh, approach, like Michigan, I thought that was a really good approach, right? When you have extreme gerrymandering, that, of course, changes uh, things uh, significantly. This is not the place to talk about it, but I just think the results are the results, and I I think that uh, is going to be the case. Now I want to ask you the big question, all right? Um, Will the Republican Party um, dump Trump? Will that be gradual? Will that be just a groundswell of a DeSantis who is a clear front runner right now? Or what do you think is going to happen?
0: Well, I don't know if they will because the Republicans' ability to self destruct is legendary. They need to. And it seems like they want Trump to go away, but they don't want to have to actually do anything about it. And look, Ron DeSantis has proven to be a great governor in Florida. Everything they throw at him, every smear that they do, he just beats it back like, well, here's what the data says. DeSantis is a candidate. Mike Pence, who is a quiet guy, I've had a chance to meet him a couple times. He's got experience as a governor. He's got experience in the House. I think you're going to find at the end of the day, Mike Pence was the adult in the room. And when Trump was careening and bouncing off walls and ordering Diet Cokes, it was Mike Pence that was calming things down. They've been talking about Mitt Romney. Again, And, of course, Romney is hated by the extreme end of the Republican Party. (laughs) Mitt Romney was a a capable governor. He was a good businessman. He did a great job with the Olympics. He could actually manage things. Nikki Haley, great governor in South Carolina, got her international credentials furnished as ambassador to the United Nations. And at one time, she was crossways with Trump, and Trump said, well, she's confused. Nikki Haley was out that afternoon saying, no, I'm not confused. I know what my job is and what my role is. So I think there's another great candidate there. So I, I think that the, that the Republicans are not necessarily a Ron DeSantis party. I, I think they've got people there. And I, I also often ponder, okay, what will the Democrats do? And, you know, Joe Manchin is a, kind of, is a centrist Democrat, And he speaks very articulately, and he'd probably be a very strong candidate. Now, here's the question to both parties. Will the primary system allow us to get good candidates? Because the primary system for both parties is hideous. At least the Democrats are smart enough to tell everybody, go away, here's who we're going to pick. And everybody, you know... Buttigieg, you're going to get to be transportation secretary, right? Now, now leave. The Republicans self destructed and allowed Donald Trump to get an early toehold with, you know, 22% of the vote. But the last thing I want to say is this for both the Democrats and the Republicans, there's this populist urge that says our government isn't doing what we need it to do. It doesn't feel like our government. It feels like the government of power mongers and lobbyists. And, it, and it's being aided and abetted by a media system that keeps stoking that. And, and, and my proof point is this. If that populist urge could bring someone as unqualified as Donald Trump to the Oval Office, couldn't some reasonable person or party tap into that and actually start getting some change?
1: Well, my answer to that is, I, I don't know if you know it, but there's a new party called the forward party. Oh yes. Yeah. Which let's not,
0: Andrew talk about Yang. That. Yeah.
1: that'll last about 10 minutes, you know? Um, but I, I on the democratic side, the democratic party side, um, they do not have the lineup that the Republicans do. Mm-hmm. Uh, If you really winnow through pretty fast in terms of people who are actually successful, it comes down to people like Gavin Newsom, um, hated by a lot of people, most populous state. um, But if you want to also on the flip side, say on the other end, I don't believe that Kamala Harris is electable. Okay, she's just, she didn't make it even to the first round last time. So the Democrats have not really got a... Uh, centrist, uh, a lot of centrist candidates that would be broadly appealing. Uh, You mentioned about Biden being in his basement. Biden was not elected because he was Biden. He was like the safe choice that everybody said, we kind of know this guy and we don't want Trump, right? I agree. And so uh, when the Democrats uh, come up with a candidate, they're going to have to have way better than that uh, next time. My personal prediction is, and I've heard some great, Uh, combinations because on my, my thing, uh, I think DeSantis has the uh, inside track. He's also, um, he looks kind of like, you know, a regular guy. He's got a little bit of ruddy complexion, you know, and he, as you say, he stands up and he he takes the blows and he pushes right back, you know, kind of thing. And he's always surrounds himself with a coterie of people so that he's got kind of like some experts around him. That, that's an impressive approach. I think some of the other candidates that you're talking about, I understand Mike Pence. Uh, my sister lives in Indiana. Um, there are people who feel in Indiana that he was too extreme on the right side. Sure. But now that uh, Supreme Court is all already over there, that you know Mike Pence is not that far to the right. Okay. And he was an adult in the room. It would be interesting to see Mike Pence as a candidate. I think that... DeSantis would be more successful as a candidate, primarily because it's another generation. Uh, He's also a veteran that was uh, successful uh, in the military. Um, Again, he's a strong guy. Um, He kind of is like uh, Adam Kinzinger, but a little bit more, you know, gravitas. So
0: DeSantis at the top of the ticket, top two candidates for vice president.
1: Well, if you threw in there uh, Nikki Haley, then you're going to win. Because then you've got yourself uh, a woman of color. You've got DeSantis who protects the Christian uh, part of this because Nikki Haley is a Sikh after all, right? I don't think Nikki Haley can win because ultimately the evangelical, they cannot support a non-Christian at the top. Enough of them would, would uh, not be there. But as a number two in DeSantis' young, uh, you know, the chances of him having a problem with his health and office are minimal. You know, unless he, somebody took him out or something like that, and I think Nikki Haley is a great number two. Christine Nome, absolutely not. Nobody gets elected from South Dakota, you know. And I think that the other thing with, uh, as you said, she's burnished her credentials. Uh, Nikki Haley along the way, so I think that is a clear winning combination.
0: Yeah, Tim Scott maybe. All right, as we're nearing the end of our time, Robert, real quick on the Democrat ticket for 2024, if you have a view, and then anything that we didn't cover today that you'd like to make sure we talk about?
1: Um, my personal feeling is that the, the Democrats need a white male at the top uh, in order to keep the large part of the vote. Uh, I'm not being racial about it. Uh, Joe Biden got 61% of the white vote, okay, and that those people vote. So I think a Gavin Newsom, who is uh, photogenic, uh, or if you could find somebody else, I like Joe Manchin, but I think the progressives would just vilify him and they would walk out on him. They won't walk out on Gavin Newsom. So I think Gavin Newsom at the top. Um, I think yeah, a, um, a a woman, uh, a white woman as a number two uh, could be a Gretchen. I don't think Gretchen is oh, got God the. Forbid. Well, I'm just throwing her name out there. It needs to be, um, I think, a governor. Uh, there's not
0: that many... Uh... You don't have Comos not in the mix here or any place?
1: I don't think Cuomo could be in the mix. And the reason why, not because he's not smart enough, is just that he is pissed off too many people.
0: Yeah, yeah. I may write a... Uh, th- there's one race that I may be vocal about. One race that I, I feel strongly about is Michigan governor. I just want to put it like this. I think that the current governor we've got has to go. And it's really, it's about ethics and leadership is when you're giving 10 million people directives and you ignore them yourself. I know people who had elderly relatives die in nursing homes that couldn't visit them, died without a hug the last eight months of their life. And we were told not to go to Florida because everyone down there's dying it was a lie, but we were told that by our governor. And we were told, don't travel. And this governor travels to Florida to visit her elderly father. When the only answer was, I'm sorry, dad, I've just told 10 million people they can't do this. And then it goes on and on where you couldn't buy tomato seeds and so forth. But this governor needs to go. She can't run on her track record and the ethics have been horrible. Again, that's I think
1: she's an intellectual lightweight also, personally. I, I really do. I think she had a great background, her family's great background, but she's not at that level. But anyway, you and I understand what you're saying. And I uh, since I don't live here in that that type of Boris Johnson was kicked out as, uh, you know, prime minister in England for this kind of thing. Of, for
0: bad hair, though, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it was terrible hair. But um, just about any subject that we have not covered. This is um, my chance to be able to say to everyone in the United States and beyond. Actually, I think um, we are stabilized, even though people feel that we are not. Uh, I think that Biden has been a stabilizing force with NATO. Uh, with uh, various cooperation around the world. Uh, he's, Biden is clearly a, a transitory, uh, you know, transitional uh, pe- um, president. I don't want him to run again. Um, I think that um, it's easy to pick on anybody, whether we picked on Trump walking up the stairs and couldn't hold the glass, or Biden, whatever thing he's doing. The fact is, these guys are in their 70s. Biden's about to be 80. Um, that can't uh, happen in the future. The flip side is, and we didn't talk about economics, but I don't think the U.S. economy is in bad shape at all. Okay, They did pump too much money in. It did have uh, cause inflation. Fed realizes that. I think they're dialing it back, the three-quarters, three-quarters. I think that we are definitely okay. If you look around the world, there's no economy that is more dynamic uh, than the U.S. economy. Every single person I know outside the United States other than the Chinese, by the way, they all say, you know, never count the U.S. out. The U.S. has got uh, the best tools and we have the global reserve currency. Bitcoin is not going to blow us away. Okay, (laughs) so I think I think that my statement to everybody here is that uh, things are not that bad at all. I think that uh, I would love to see a moderate uh, movement away from the what some of the left is doing, which is way too much money throwing into the economy. It was a bad idea. I think we should be more issue-focused, fo- which has actually happened, whether it was infrastructure or chips or even a Family Leave Act or something like that. I think we do better that than the cornucopia of X trillion dollars. So uh, my takeaway message is thank you very much for inviting me. I think, that, I think it's important for me to say to everybody... Uh, Richard Helpy and his uh, offsider here, videographer, uh, Brian Kruger, do a service to this country, and they constantly bring on uh, terrific guests, which is a little bit to the right for me, but that's okay, and we remain friends, and I want to thank you for inviting me.
0: Great. Thank you, Robert. So we've been on the Common Bridge today with one of our favorite guests, Robert Greenfield, who's traveled literally halfway around the world to be on the Common Bridge. Common Bridge, of course, is at substack.com, where you will find our columns, you'll find video, you'll find podcast access, our magazine, and more. So please join us there. Go to substack.com, put the Common Bridge in your search engine. For those of you that like to listen, we are on every podcast outlet. Of course, the transcripts of the podcast are available at substack.com, be a paid subscriber or a free subscriber youtube tv and of course at mission control radio on your radio garden app and with our guest robert greenfield this is rich helpy signing off on the common bridge thanks for joining us on the common bridge please subscribe to the common bridge on substack.com where you can find more interviews, columns, podcasts, video, and other nonpartisan discussions to the problems of today. On Substack, you can access the full archive and bonus columns, podcasts, and interviews for only $5 a month. Please go to substack.com and search for The Common Bridge and subscribe.